Millions of frontline workers keep our economy running and are provided with the latest technology to do their jobs. But digital adoption, especially by frontline workers, is really hard. This is Frontline Innovators. We explore how to overcome challenges and achieve success when we empower our essential workers. I'm Justin Lake. And I'm Gene Signorini. Together, we speak with experts who are leading the way and driving digital transformation to the front line. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful on a mission to help frontline workers learn and use the technology needed to succeed in their jobs. Welcome to the Frontline Innovators Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Lake, and we have a super cool episode today because our guest is from the airline industry. And for those of you that know me, know that I've done a bunch of work around the airlines and I'm just totally fascinated with the aviation space. And so I really can't wait to talk to our guest today. Our guest is the field service manager at Delta Airlines. Please welcome to the show, Alexis Green. Hello, Alexis. Hello. Thank you so much for having me, Justin. I'm super excited to talk to you. I am excited to have you here and uh, really excited to share some of your stories with me and our audience. So let's get started as we always do and hear what you think is the biggest challenge facing the deskless or frontline workforce today. Okay. I think my situation with that is a little bit unique, I would say, because my my direct reports are all flight attendants. So that's going to be a completely different work group than those of those that are like on the ramp, for example. So with that, you're not with the same people on the same trip. You're constantly like having a revolving door of who you do, um, who do you do work with every day. So with that, I think it's really difficult to be on one accord, whether it's with industry standards or consistency or procedural knowledge, when you're constantly in like different environments with different people, as opposed to those who may work on the ramp, who they have the same team that they've been reporting to for months or years or whomever, where they can kind of build that rapport. Things can be a little bit like more seamless when um, there isn't so much movement. So for those that don't know what you're talking about when you say the ramp, Yes. Oh, okay. So those are just talking like everyone I, knows I what aviation it's just, is. It's not like a ramp. There's not. <laughs> no, it's not like a ramp. So essentially, like when you're a passenger on a plane, have you ever looked outside the window and you seen the people loading your bags, unloading the bags, all those? Those. That's what we call the ramp. Those who handle baggage and everything like that for the passenger. Yeah, yeah that's great. Do you use the expression above and below the wing? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So I think that that to me makes sense as a flying passenger, you know, when, when people refer to it in your business, when people refer to it as above the wing and below the wing, all of a sudden, yeah. for some reason that kind of like clicks for me. And I, I kind of get that, um, but let, let's go back to what you said, because you, you mentioned something that I think I knew, but didn't really think through the implications of that, which is that, like you said, folks on the ramp, it's a crew. They tend to stick together. They're working together all the time. They build rapport. Mm -hmm. um, the, the crew actually in the aircraft is constantly mm -hmm. rotating. In fact, it's probably yes. more rare for them to work with someone that they know than it is to work with new people every time they're flying. Is that true? Very true. Yeah. I, um, so before stepping into leadership, I've been in aviation for seven years now. I flew for four and a half years as a flight attendant before I became a field service manager and started servicing flight attendants as their leader. And in that four and a half years, I've probably worked with the same person twice, maybe. Yeah. And that's because you can you can see like a list of your crew members and everything like that. So if you have, let's say if you have a friend who wants to swap on the same trip as you, you can do that. But other than that, it's always new names, new faces, new people, new personalities. So it can it can definitely be a challenge with that. 
Yeah, that's really interesting. And so then it, it kind of makes the case, and I think this is really what you were saying, that the, the process and procedures need to be buttoned up super yeah. tightly because we need to operate flawlessly as a team, even though we just met each other five minutes before the passengers are getting on the plane. Absolutely. And, you know, someone else's experience that could be um, below wing or um, above wing in a different capacity other than in-flight service specifically. That's why it's really unique to us. And that's what I know most about because that's the only division I've been in. So you may have hear a different answer from someone else in the industry, of course. But when yeah. it comes to in-flight service, it's there's so many areas um, where there are areas of opportunity because like there's just a lack of cohesion in some senses. Yeah. I'm excited to to dig into this further because I did a couple of big projects probably about 10 years ago with flight attendants, but I have to admit in those cases, I was unusually at arm's length as compared with other projects where I did work with folks in the ramp and I worked with folks in cargo and stuff like that. So I feel like I have a greater uh, knowledge of how the operations work on the ramp, in cargo, mm -hmm. some of those other operations I just said than, than the flight attendants. So I'm, I'm dying to really dig into this with you today. So really? let's, let's help everybody understand, including me uh, yeah. a little bit about your background. How did you end up as a field service manager serving flight attendants in this capacity? How did you even end up at Delta? Give us a little bit of that, of that backstory. It's funny. Cause to be honest, it was kind of like applying on a whim. I, I joined Delta out of, um, yeah, out of a whim, having friends that already worked for Delta. I was a college graduate looking for a job. I was applying to a lot of jobs in my field of study, which was journalism, getting a lot of no's, a lot of rejections. Um, I went to sales really quickly. And um, at that point, I was applying for airlines just because I knew people in the industry, like I said, and I wasn't expecting to get a call back. And next thing you know, I'm at flight attendant training and it just started rolling like that way, you know, and then I got more, um, got more interested in the industry, did some special assignments, a lot of internal special assignments where um, I worked with the training center, supported flight attendants in that capacity, doing um, operating experience. Up, evaluating their operating experience. Also, we have um, a quarterly conference that we host all the different divisions, cross-divisional leadership and everything, which is um, called Velvet. So I was on the Velvet team as a special assignment as a flight attendant. I did some charter flights. I did a couple of different things when I was flying. So that was really, really cool. And then once I was doing a lot of different special assignments, I was like, you know what? I really wish I had. I wish I had the ability to be the leader that I wanted when I was first starting. Because on top of kind of like how we were talking before with there being so much change and you're never really able to build that rapport. It's also very, it's a job where you really have to be very self-sufficient because you actually don't even see your leaders all the time. So when I'm going through my initial probationary period um, as a flight attendant, I didn't see my leader that much. We didn't have that close of a relationship. So I was wondering how could I actually be more impactful and be that sort of leader that I wanted. And that's how I found my way into leadership. And ever since then, um, I'm still flight attendant qualified, flight field service managers and other um, leaders in the in-flight in service division. We all still have to fly once a quarter. So I still fly here and there, but it's mainly just servicing my direct reports and my team, which are flight attendants still. Okay. We got a lot of questions now because when we first met, I and I still don't know the answer to this, but I didn't know what it means to be a field service manager for oh, a group of flight attendants at an airline. So help us understand what that even means. Yes. I will say there are two functions to the field service role, um, to field service manager role. 
One is having your actual team of direct reports that are specifically assigned to be under your leadership. That can be anywhere from 60 flight attendants. I've had up to 230 at one time. You're not supposed to, but with Holy a lot smokes. of, <laughs> a lot of, you know, changes in leadership and things, we'll have to watch each other's teams and kind of make sure that at the end of the day, there's never a flight attendant that doesn't say that they have a leader. It may be a process to like, you know, have additional leadership come in so we can kind of um, knock down our team sizes so we can continue to build that rapport with our flight attendants. But um, sometimes that happens. Unfortunately, we just want to make sure they're always supported. So that's a primary function, making sure that I'm there for them in that capacity and um, alternatively to that uh, also supporting the daily operations of the airline as well so being on the concourse being visible and available meeting flights making sure already set go flights which are the flights that are um, more susceptible to delays and things like that being um, a leadership presence so flight attendants are there if they're having any sort of issues um getting so they kind of scan their badges and go down um go down the jetway before the passengers get on to do all their safety checks making sure they're present and they're there on time and things of that nature or working with other divisions um including other above wing divisions that um may be involved in different emergencies or different like responses that we need to have in real time in the airport so doing those things on top of also having the team it's kind of like a dual function role so that's essentially what it means to be a field service manager that's fascinating. I, I honestly didn't know it makes sense, but I didn't realize that your role existed. And I should have imagined that there was somebody helping to guide all of that activity that's happening there. You just said a few things that I, I want to talk about. This is a little bit maybe off the topic normally with the podcast, but I, I think it's fascinating. And most people probably don't really understand this. The FAA does not require that there be flight attendants on the plane to serve me coffee or a cocktail mm -hmm. on the plane, right? Mm -hmm. Talk about that because I think some people probably lose sight of the primary function the flight attendants on on a trip. Oh, yes. I, I, would, I would love for you to explain the primary purpose. And I imagine that if you guys are in training for some number of weeks prior to working on your first plane, that the, the coffee serving part gets done pretty quickly, but all the rest of the training is about a bunch of other things other than coffee and food. Absolutely. I'm so glad you asked that, Justin, because it's funny that you don't really see the function of a flight attendant so much, which is good, which means there's probably have never been an emergency on your flight. Exactly. So with that being said, the primary reason that we are there per the FAA is to make sure that you all are safe. We are trying to protect the passengers, whether it's a medical event, security threat, or some sort of um, aircraft like event, like if there's an emergency landing, anything of that nature. That's why we're there. We're educated and trained on how to evacuate the aircraft with only half the exits working in less than 90 seconds on all aircrafts, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. But some of them where we have more crew members, a lot of things can be um, contingent on that as well. But other than that, we are also trained on medical um, medical events. If someone's having a seizure on a on the flight, or they're um, you know people bleeding and just craziness that happens on the flight, so many different medical events that you can't even imagine if it can happen on the ground. I was always taught in training it can happen in the air. And when you're in the air, all you have is each other, and all you have is these flight attendants. Unless you know, we are so lucky to have doctors and firefighters and things like that on board. But if not, trust me, we are trained to make sure that we can help you do CPR, everything. Um, also, we're trained in self-defense because, you know, unfortunately, we think about the events of 9-11, we have to be prepared for absolutely everything, absolutely any sort of threat. So that's really why we're there. We wear many different hats. But the fact that most people do think that's related to just the service 
is actually really good because it means no one's ever been in an emergency. Most people think that. So I'm glad. <laughs> it, it, it's, it yes, it's, I, it, I understand why you would say that it's good. I find it frustrating on your behalf. I've never been a flight attendant, mm -hmm. but I feel for you and all of oh, your yeah. peers throughout the industry because I think passengers lose sight of the primary purpose. And so, the air conditioning is not just perfect. I know I've been quick. I don't really say anything out loud, but I complain to myself, at least when the Wi-Fi is not working right. You know, all those other things. I realize you have very little control over those things. And it's not really why you're there to fix the Wi-Fi connection, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I just wish the traveling public would would understand that a little bit more and maybe give uh, a little sensitivity on occasion, you know? No, that is so sweet. Absolutely. And I, I I, definitely appreciate the empathy because I will say when I first started my career, it was very frustrating. Like, let's yeah. say hypothetically, if um, we were delayed somewhere and your crew is late, nine times out of 10, it's not just because they showed up late to work. They probably, their last flight was probably running behind. They're running to get you there. So a lot of those things can are not taken into account of what could have happened before, prior to, and just how the working yeah. of our job really is and how it's structured. So I'm glad that, you know, someone does empathize because there, there's a lot that goes into it. Definitely. Yeah. It's stressful and frustrating for the passengers at times too, right? So it, it it's interesting how a couple hundred people can be on, you know, in a capsule together. And we all have different stressors and frustrations and tensions on our day. Uh, we could all probably afford to take a deep breath every once in a while and get a reality check that, you know, we're traveling, traveling halfway across the world, uh, you know, in a mere few hours and, you know, a couple hours here and there are delays, even when they suck. Uh, in the yeah. grand scheme of things, it's a lot better than it used to be. Uh, I imagine yes. with our our forefathers who were traveling on horse or something. So, <laughs> hey, like, come on, we're gonna we're gonna get there. It's better than being in the car. Two hour flight is better than a seventeen hour drive. So, come on, absolutely. You know? <laughs> and, and again, I know we're way off topic here, but I, yeah, I did no have a delay. I had a delay in a recent flight. We didn't even as soon as they closed the door, there was a. Um, a weather delay at the destination city. So, mm -hmm. you know, everything was fine where I'm sitting right now. The door's been mm -hmm. closed and the destination city's got a weather issue. And so we're, we're sitting on the plane. But when I landed, I realized that my iPad makes all the difference in the world. Just having an iPad with a charged battery, it's like, oh. I can get by a lot. I've got books to read. I could browse the internet. I could do a lot of stuff on my iPad. So my advice to everybody is uh, just make sure you have an iPad on your flight. There we go. It's because what if go. the Wi-Fi doesn't work? You know, it, might have to have some books downloaded. It's coming always, with something downloaded. Yes, absolutely. All right, let's 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 get back on track because I think it's interesting to talk about one of the things that I was involved with many years ago was implementing new technology for flight attendants. And again, one of the functions of the technology, uh, I'm not super familiar with Delta. I apologize for that. But um, I imagine that you're doing some sort of drink ordering and things like that and on those tablets. But there are a lot of other functions that exist on those tablets, I imagine, as well. Maybe you can talk us through a little bit about some of that other stuff that's kind of behind the scenes, even though it's happening in front of us. Yes. So all flight attendants are equipped with um, a handheld device. It's actually an iPhone and it's called a SkyPro. So that would be um, that would be what they use for anything that's customer facing, whether it's sales, when they're taking drink orders, if you're in an um, area where, you know, alcohol is for purchase or manifesting meals or anything of that nature where, um, you know, it's related to a service that's going to be um, in one of our apps. We have a customer service, uh, one of our excuse me, one of our um, CRMs is actually called the guest service tool. 
And with that, you can do everything related to meal orders and all of that, but you can also see where everyone's seated. You can see um, where someone's connecting flight is. You can see if someone, let's say if you need to recognize someone for being a million mile or being um, a certain level of medallion for having some sort of loyalty to Delta, all of that information will be in the guest service tool. As well as um, let's say if someone had a really, really poor experience their last time because they just they misconnected or something like that, the flight attendant will be um, signaled to let's apologize to John Doe in 18F because he missed his connection last month because of X, Y, and Z reason or whatever, and kind of be able to provide that service recovery in that app as well. Um, other than that, uh, other than those CRMs, they also have apps for just for flight attendants to be um, in compliance with the FAA. So there'll be a like a content locker on there so they can have their onboard manual, which will also be a good reference when there's any sort of emergency. Has the step-by-step has all the step-by-step -step procedures for things of that nature. What else can you use your SkyPro for? They also have apps for um, their schedules that, so they can swap and drop and everything like that and kind of have the ease of access of, you know, keep creating their work-life balance at their fingertips. Those yeah. are what I would say are like the main primary um, function of the SkyPro, but there's a ton of apps that Delta has, but we yeah. actually implemented some, which is a challenge I definitely think that we would probably going to get into talking talking about some of them that have been implemented that um, I'm not too familiar with like as far as using them because I haven't been an active flight attendant in quite some time right and just um, and I know we're going to talk about this later but just the the lack of education around some of the apps that's why it's kind of even hard for me to describe like what do I do in this particular app oh I know this is so useful but I don't really know how to use it yeah. so yeah well, that that's actually, I mean, maybe it's a good segue for us to just talk about that a little bit now. Um, and, and this might tie in with some of the things when you said at the top of our conversation that you wanted to be the leader that you wish you'd had. Yes. Help me understand, give me some perspective of, uh, you know, a day in the life when uh, of a flight attendant, when I am maybe starting out, or maybe you are rolling out new technology to the entire flight attendant community. What kind of communications are you doing as an individual leader in the organization? How are we making sure that the frontline team members themselves know what they need to know to be successful? Kind of archaic in a way. We use a lot of e-blasts, a lot of, you know, oh, here's your email reminder to say, hey, make sure you update this app to this version or whatever the case is. Or for example, I was talking about the content locker that they have to have certain things. They're like onboard manuals and everything like that to um, be up to date so that they're in compliance. The FAA is on their flight. There are sections where if you download something, it'll make you... Um, it's like a kind of like a must view bullet of like a new policy or procedure or something of that something of that nature yeah. however with that being said you can just kind of like click it and it's like clicking the terms and conditions you know you didn't read all that you know so i would say those are our main it's just those are our main ways right now of updating um our teams like let's say if there's an update to a policy or a procedure or some sort of app or whatever the case is i'll normally just email my team about it and flight assistants don't really read their emails because I used to be one. So yeah. <laughs> I know that they, yeah. that's not, it's not the most effective um, thing. And then on top of that, of course, um, they get updates when they have their, their annual training, but it's not even annual anymore. Now it's every 18 months. So areas of opportunity. Yeah. For so when we think about 
technology. I'm curious to get your take on this because you you kind of sit in both a, a leadership role and then you're also a user of the same technology at times, right? When you're kind of back in the role again. Yeah. And I think sometimes you talked about using iPhones in the business. And so there's this, people on the podcast have heard me talk about this before. I think the consumerization of enterprise technology, you know, we all have iPhones in our pockets and we can walk into a Verizon or AT&T or T-Mobile store and just grab an iPhone and start using it right away. And so there's this perception that when we get to work, we'll be able to do the same thing with those enterprise applications. But, mm -hmm. you know, we've already mentioned the uh, acronym or FCC a bunch of times on the, or excuse me, FAA. <laughs> so there's been a lot, you know, th this isn't just, you know, words with friends that we're talking about here. This is a, a compliance tool. It's mission critical. Mm -hmm. How well do you think that the folks on your team are able to just pick it up and go. Do you think that they're, you know, is the fact that it's just an iPhone, does it just make it so incredibly easy that they just don't have any questions and they just immediately know how to use everything? Or do you feel like there are still some gaps that need to be closed? Definitely gaps that need to be closed because we have a very matrix groups of individuals. We have our flight attendants who have been flying since the 1960s and 70s and they have their time and there's the flight attendants who just started in 2023 and then you have all different ages you know there are those flight attendants who didn't grow up with cell phones so of course they're asking me why is this not working oh did you not yeah. know you know your wi-fi is not on or things like right. that so a lot of generational um gaps and technology I, I really feel like are the biggest sort of um you know um issues there other than that like more of the, the younger generation who already has like iphones they usually don't have trouble with it it more so is those who either don't have an iphone or they're of an older generation that isn't um as technology um advanced how much connection do you feel there is between the business process and the technology and i don't feel like i'm asking my question well but i guess what i'm i'm really you know, again, words with friends or Tetris, like we're just playing a game. There's, It's not really connected to some process outside of the software. In your case, with your user population and, the, and your direct reports, it isn't just about an app. It's mm -hmm. not about a game. It's actually about doing some job function that's mm -hmm. a required job function. Absolutely. And so when you communicate to them, how do you think, what are some best practices in helping to connect the dots between that business process and the way that they're supposed to be using the technology so that everything remains compliant? I would say the compliance piece, a lot of that comes from just giving them like friendly reminders of, hey, like we want to make sure, yes, you're a service professional section sec second but a safety professional first like hey these are like the you know kind of just emphasizing what their responsibilities are there from a different standpoint i would say with like utilizing the gst some of it goes back to our business metrics so our gst tool that i was talking about earlier making and doing those recognitions that actually really really helps the business model so making sure i'm actually recognizing my team encourages them to utilize that so the compliance piece i would definitely say that's an area of opportunity but other than that when it comes to like those metrics to make sure it's like hey we are like hitting our targets when it comes to recognition like this is why you know we are the preferred airline because we we've hit x y and z number of metrics and whatnot you know encouraging them in that telling them how it benefits the business and also recognizing them for their hard work that helps but the compliance piece can definitely be an area of opportunity that's interesting what do you think the flight attendants would say about the increase in technology you talked about this a little bit before maybe some of the folks that have been around for a little bit longer may report 
differently than some mm -hmm. of the new new folks in the organization. But what what are they saying about the increase in use of technology? Because I know over the last ten years it went from virtually zero. Oh yeah. To oh yeah. Like everything that you do now as a flight attendant is being uh, you know done through that app or through that set of apps. Absolutely. So what's their take on this? Do they like it? Do they hate it? Somewhere in the middle? It depends on the reasoning behind why they're using the technology. For example, we there used to be a point where when we did our um, our annual training, our um, we call it a CQ, our cont continuing qualification, there was a point where we didn't use our Sky Pros at all or very much. So now it's very, very interactive. And in those sessions, inadvertently, they're actually teaching us how to use the device as well, because it's easy in the sense of if you know how to use an iPhone, you can use a Sky Pro. However, the way some of the apps are configured, it can be a little bit confusing. So um, and the instructors actually end up telling us in like covert ways how to use the Sky Pro more effectively through incorporating it more in those classroom trainings. So that's definitely been favorable, including more technology um, in those quarterly in the continuing qualification. Other than that, I would definitely say it really does come down to that like sort of generational gap. Those that have been around a little bit longer where there wasn't any technology. Like we just, I want to say the Sky Pro has only been around for like 10 years. Because yeah. I've been with, yeah, I've been with Delta 7. And from my understanding, it was a, because we started off with like an older, like Nokia phone seven years ago. And we just got yep. to the actual, like a couple years after that. So from my understanding, I was talking to other flight since they used to carry around like this big, heavy binder of all the onboard manuals, all the um, emergency procedures and everything like that. And it was just like physically like weighing them down. Anytime there was any sort of update that physically come into the base, remove a page, put a different page in so they know how to, um, you know, so they can reapply it in that sense. So I do think it's very favorable that, hey, we've shifted from having this thousand page binder to having this little phone, but still just the frustrations of, you know, those who are just more familiar with not having to constantly have something to keep updated and things of that nature. I guess having it at your fingertips can be like a blessing and a curse in some people's eyes, but yeah, really just it's, it's contingent upon who you ask, what generation really. Well, it's, you've raised an interesting point. Do you refer to that as the electronic flight bag or is that the way that it was referred to before? No, that's always yeah. been called a Skyper. I will say pilots, like they have, um, they have like an iPad. I'm not sure what yeah. they call it in flight okay. apps. But it, to, to your point about the the different timelines. So if you think about the change management, when that, let, let's say it was in 2013, 14, 15, somewhere around there when these changes were first being implemented and technology was being used to replace those binders. I imagine in some cases it was like, oh, you're telling me that I can not carry around 20 pounds of paper, yeah. not have to worry about changing out, you know, chapter 12 back at the base, like you just described. And instead I can just do this on a tablet or smartphone. Like, yeah, I'll take that. Now mm -hmm. you fast forward to the folks that have never had that experience and they're like, oh, there's another app on my device yep. that I need to learn now. Yep. Right. Yeah. Funny it's like, how you are carrying around a book though. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like not to sound like a boomer here but you know back in the old days yeah you know and your predecessors my goodness that's what like when i first started flying people would tell me that flight attendants would say well guess what at least you're not like removing a page from the book <laughs> and all of this and just i was like oh, okay that does sound like a lot okay yeah, boomer see yeah. yeah like <laughs> yeah that's really funny so what do you think, I, I'm curious to get your take on 
the difference between, I, I normally ask a version of this question about the difference between helping frontline workers through digital transformation versus knowledge workers sitting back at corporate. But I want to ask you kind of a different flavor of that. And do you think that the way that you have to communicate and train with flight attendants is different from maybe other frontline employees inside the airline? So the folks in the ramp, gate agents, ticket agents, stuff like that, people that are kind of located at a particular location. Does that change how you need to communicate with your folks? 100%. 100%. Because someone else who's above wing, the ticket agents, the gate agents, all of that, the the above wing ground version of my role is called an um an operating serv- an operations service manager, excuse me. Their direct reports are the gate agents and the gate agent supervisors. They see their team every single day that they're there. My team is in and out in this state and this country and everything. So it's 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 very, very much a different burden on field service managers to figure out how can I connect with my team and give a consistent message across dozens or a hundred plus flight attendants who are not all in the same space and more than likely will not always be in the same space and or even receptive to the same messages. So it is, it's definitely a different challenge um, finding out how to do that. Um, one thing that I do definitely love, it's also um, a technology based, one of our databases that we have for leadership um, called my team. It reminds you when to check in with flight attendants. It reminds you of different um, engagement metrics. Oh, hey, this person's birthday is here. Hey, this person's um, service anniversary is this day. So having those little reminders is very helpful to make sure that there's something to tell me, okay, these are great ways to make sure that I can have start building that rapport and I can always have something to touch base with my flight attendant upon. Or even if it's just like a general check-in or whatever the case is, kind of having that sort of um, laid out for me is also very helpful. But then it just does come on. Um, on the leader to figure out how can I deliver my leadership style to the masses who are not all, I I might not even ever meet this person physically, but how can I make sure that I touch them? You know, that's amazing. Kudos to your organization for, for putting that in place. It almost sounds like it's kind of like a CRM, but internal, right? You have this like customer relationship management. It's a lot of the same concepts, right? How would I nurture my relationship? But instead of being external, it's, it's entirely internal. And that makes sense when you think about the scale of your team. I mean, I've never heard of another organization where, or even a type of organization where an individual leader has 60, 70, 80 direct reports, essentially. And then, as you said, you may never be in the same room as those other people. Absolutely. Yeah. So putting that in place makes a lot of sense. Let's go back to something that you said at the top again. Um, I feel like I'm kind of harping on this a little bit, but I, I thought it was interesting when you said that you wanted to be the leader that you wish you'd had and n- not, not to necessarily, you know, kind of point the finger at your previous leadership, but, but to really think of it more in terms of what are the things that came away that you came away from that experience saying, here are the two, three, four, five things that I really want to make sure that I do as I step into this leadership role that was different than what I experienced. A lot more education on making sure my flight sins are set up for success before, like, kind of like threatened air management. Before we get to the air, let's go ahead and, like, I see a threat coming. Let me tell you how to prevent this and making sure I'm setting them up for success um, before, you know, things can then lead to, like, a decline in their performance, for example. So like, let's say, for example, I see a flight attendant that has some performance concerns. I will make sure that they know um, 
a lot about our different like programs, policies, and procedures that may not result in what could have been the performance development if they just take this route, for example. So being educated on a lot of our programs and policies and things that I didn't have the knowledge of when I was a flight attendant, being able to pass that along to my flight attendants has been immensely helpful. So that's that's primarily like what my focus is as a leader to make sure I am super, super, super educated in my role and what it encompasses so I can pass that on to the flight attendants because I know their role I know the role better than they do, you know? So I've done that role and now I'm on the other side of leadership. So just making sure that they're set up for success um, is definitely my MO these days. That's good. Are there, when you think about the the technology piece of that role, obviously that's a big theme, you know, of this podcast is, is the technology adoption piece. Are there any best practices that come to mind for you that we can all, those of us that aren't leading, flight attendant teams, but you are leading at scale. Mm -hmm. Your employees universally have to use technology, both for customer relationship management, as you talked about before, but also for FAA compliance and, and things like that. Is there any advice you can leave us with that would be, you know, maybe applicable outside of, of just the uh, aviation space? I would say as a leader, continue to make sure that you're recognizing your people I know that when I was a frontline employee, receiving recognition from my leader is really what made me like want to kind of step up my game, made me want to enhance my performance because I felt like my good deeds were not going unnoticed. So that's really my best practice. Whenever it's the smallest thing, I got a I got an email from a crew member saying, oh my goodness, this flight attendant reports to you. They did such a great job on something super, super like minuscule if you will like they were they did a great job greeting the passengers or something like that like oh my goodness great job sally you did so well just continuing to pour life into them and make sure making sure that they know that like what they're doing is making a difference that's awesome i i think we touched on some of this already but as as we kind of wind up here i i'm curious if there's anything else about being a flight attendant that you'd like everyone else to know that maybe isn't obvious to those of us who have never been a flight attendant, any other responsibilities or kind of not, not so much just like inside information, but is, is there something that you just wish the public would understand better than they, than we all do today? Okay. Yes. It might sound super, super like trivial, but the only thing flight attendants do are things that are physically on the plane. So anything that has to do with like, I want to change my seat. I want this. I want that. Anything that doesn't have to do with this present flight, I have no control over where you sit. Like if you and your family all got separated and things like that, we can, you know, try to help you facilitate that. But that's something you want to talk about with a gate agent, the people that actually like give you your seat assignment, because we're just going to tell you to sit where it says. <laughs> that's yeah. not yeah, we, we don't have that authority. So unless you can't be safe in that seat. Exactly. And exactly. it's not really your responsibility. That's a and really good like, point. Oh my gosh, I want to sit near my friends and I'm like, I'm sorry. Why didn't, I don't know what to tell you. So, something that's important, but you should have handled it before you stepped onto the aircraft. Very, unless you're yeah. in a situation where you are not, um, you're not eligible to sit in an exit row. I can't just, I don't have the authority to just go ahead and like move people around. So. Yeah. That's actually really very interesting. And it's, it's a good point. And uh, I don't think I've ever been insensitive to that to the flight attendants before, but I'll make sure in the future that I'm not, maybe, maybe I'll nudge the person next to me if I hear them bitching about 
their their uh, seat assignment or something. <laughs> Please. All right, that's good. Well, Alexis, we got to wrap this up. I really uh, appreciate your time today and uh, have really enjoyed the conversation. I I have always been just absolutely fascinated with the aviation business. I think it's uh, one of those things that to to have an opportunity to see behind the scenes a little bit as I've done. I've never worked for an airline, but I've done a bunch of projects for airlines and I've always just been fascinated with every element. That The fact I know we all complain is the flying public, flights are delayed, bags are mishandled, all that other kind of stuff. But the fact that most of the time things go pretty well, most of the time things are, are you know, you get to where you needed to get to, your bags ended up where they needed to get to. Uh, it is just like a crazy circus behind the scenes to make all that stuff happen. And people like you and the teams that you support are uh, working their tails off to make all that happen. So I'm very appreciative and totally fascinated by the business and uh, appreciate you coming on to share some of the inside with us. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure to talk to you and I'm glad to, you know, just be able to converse about what, what can we do? How can we change? How can we grow? How can we improve? It's good stuff. All right. Well, to our audience, thank you for investing the time with us to uh, explore Alexis experience and, and some of the ideas around technology adoption with frontline teams. Hopefully you can take an idea from today and put it to work with the frontline teams that you support. Unless this is your first episode, you probably already know that this podcast is sponsored by Skillful, the only end-to-end systems training platform optimized for frontline operations. You can learn more about how you can solve your frontline systems training challenges by visiting skillful.com. And yes, we spell it because it's not spelled with an I. It's spelled S-K-Y-L-L-F-U-L.com. Thank you. And I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Alexis, thank you so much again for your time. Thank you, Justin. Thank you so much. 